and welcome to our Love Lansing podcast, provided by the Lansing State Journal, part of the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Kelsey Pence, and I'm here to fill you in on what's coming, what you missed, and what you need to know if you truly love Lansing like me. What's coming soon is the 21st annual BWL Chili Cook-Off. I've got Community Relations Coordinator Annie Zapetsky here to give us the details on the event, which is happening Friday, October 7th at the Adato Riverfront Park. Annie, welcome to the Love Lansing Podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here. You guys moved this event to the fall this year. Um, what what was the reasoning for that? Well, when you think about chili, really, uh, you know, it, it seems much more uh, cohesive to have chili in a, in a cooler season, especially when you're talking about tailgating and, right. and football and stuff like that. Chili is just a natural connection there. So we wanted to shift it to really uh, to really connect with what was what else was going on in Lansing, such as MSU football and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so it was just a natural move, especially when we have an award for hottest chili. We don't really want to be uh, oh, having people sweat it sweating out in the summer. Yes. Sweating before they eat the hot exactly. chili. So, you know, the cooler weather really is conducive to, you know, chili and stuff like that. So we thought it was a good move. Your website says the theme is football. How do you incorporate that into a chili cook-off? So it's the Chili Bowl this year. It's, it's <laughs> kind of a, a spin-off of Super Bowl. Um, we're really encouraging our vendors to uh, embrace that tailgating spirit and uh, decorate however possible and share their chili recipes to other tailgaters and stuff like that. Um, we're going to have Sparty out there. Uh, we've got a couple Michigan, former Michigan State football players as chili judges and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So it's, it's going to be very exciting. And, uh, you know, Lansing and East Lansing are great football towns, so it, I think it, it, it works perfectly with everything else that's going on in the city. Yeah, uh, that's not a bad job to have, chili judge. I think, uh, how, how do I sign up to be that? Right, exactly. <laughs> Well, I also read that there's a chili dog eating contest, which I'm not going to lie, kind of makes my stomach upset thinking about, but um, each contestant will be given 15 chili dogs to eat as quickly as they can in four minutes. Has anyone ever managed to eat all 15? Uh, I don't believe so yet. Um, you know, we've got a great sponsor, an Olympic broil that uh, sponsors us every year for and donates the hot, hot dogs and whatnot. Oh, but, awesome. um, you know, it's very uh, fun to watch people try to hit 15, uh, you know, and uh, every year people get farther and farther. And it's it's just really fun to watch. And it's a great way to get people uh, engaged uh, on, a, on a whole other level. <laughs> so and it really brings that con- competitive spirit as well, which is, you know, something that we want to kind of bring up as especially a part of this new football theme. So. Are there people that do this event more than like year after year? The Absolutely. Same contestants? We have uh, two or three or four that come back every year and try to best their, their <laughs> last year. So they're competing against each other, but they're also competing against themselves. So and every once in a while, we get someone from the board to try to step up. But uh, I don't think we've had any big winners yet for the board. <laughs> and any idea who won last year? Um, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, you know, every year we encourage uh, new people to come out for it and uh, really try to out outbeat the last one. So, now, how many different categories of chili are there to compete in? Is it just one? So we've got um, prizes for I believe it's like People's Choice. Um, Best meatless chili, uh, best salsa. I know we do one for hottest chili. So I think we have four or five categories that you know people can vote for, vote for as far as you know what they like and what they don't like in chili. So uh, it's 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 pretty interesting to see at the end of the night, uh, you know, people sweating a little bit from trying yeah. to taste the hottest <laughs> chili and that kind of stuff. But it's also really fun for our vendors to be able to show off their skills. Um, you know, we really try to encourage local restaurants to get involved, mm-hmm. and we you know because we want to we want to be able to show how much local talent and 
good you know good food is in or in Lansing and um, this is a great way for them to showcase it even if chili's not on the menu we encourage them to take a stab at it just so that they can get involved and you know be in front of people uh, at, at this event so it's great yeah if there's one thing I've learned in this position it's that Lansing loves food they love to eat absolutely so you know a, a food event is never gonna is never gonna fail here and I think chili's just it's one of those ones where there's such a great variety and chili can go any number of different directions so you can really uh, put your own unique spin and really show off your personality uh, with chili and and you know we love seeing all the different personalities that exist in Lansing so after 21 years do you ever feel the need to switch it up or how do you keep it interesting each year or is this formula just working every year well you know this this move was actually you know a big change for us uh, it's always been you know the begin kind of the kickoff to the summer in June and uh, this was a big move for us, so we're you know we're we're looking forward to the um, the added excitement of kind of revamping something after 21 years of, or 21 years of doing something that works. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we we expect it will continue to work, but it will just continue to work better. And um, as we go forward, we're really trying to encourage it as a community engagement event as well, getting people there uh, to really talk about what they're doing good in Lansing and help connect them with people that are there for the chili, but are can also be connected to the people that are doing good things in Lansing. So what does it cost to get in and what does your admission get you in? So the event? right now, um, tickets are on sale online, uh, $5 for an adult, $3 for kids. Uh, $10 at the door for an adult, uh, five for kids at the door. Um, so that gets you, uh, you know, you get to go in and try little samples of all the chili, uh, as many as you want and stuff like that. Um, there's, uh, you know, different kinds of drink tickets available and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, we also have um, uh, chili fast passes uh, that um, get purchased, you know, anybody who purchases a f uh, fast pass gets in 30 minutes early to try chili before other people. And um, those are, I believe, $10 for adults and $8 for, for kids. Now, are those pretty popular? I kind of laughed out loud when I heard Chili Fast Pass. I know, yeah. They, they really are because people want to make sure that they can try all the chili that they want and they don't want to miss out on one that they're looking forward to. So getting in there a little bit early, make sure you get to the ones that you know you like and also make sure you are able to be there long enough to try, you know, I mean, I think we've got like 30 different kinds of chili going on. So, I mean, that's that's a lot that you, you also have to give yourself a little uh, palate cleansing in between. Yeah, so, definitely. Uh, that extra 30 minutes does, you know, does let you get in and kind of beat the crowd a little bit. So they are pretty popular. So once you're in, um, you don't need tickets or do you need tickets to go to eat? So I, I believe what you get is um, you, you get to go in and you get like sample cups at each one. Um, I don't think there's a, a limit on them. Oh, awesome. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, you just get to go around and uh, and see what's going on throughout the whole park. It's it's kind of a nice big circle setup. You go all the way around. All the different vendors are kind of spaced out and uh, um, really give you a chance to not only enjoy the chili but enjoy the park and kind of everything else that's going on down there. Because so. you guys have live music going on too, right? Absolutely. Yep, local bands keeping everybody going and uh, pushing through that the the meat sweats and all that yeah. good stuff <laughs> and kind of shaking off all that 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 chili that people are uh, people are eating. So it's it's also a, you know uh, another exposure to good stuff that's going on in Lansing culturally with you know local bands and stuff like that keeping everybody moving. So. So how much chili will you consume on? Oh my goodness, that's a that's a hard question to to uh, to answer. You know, I've always thought my mom's is the best chili. Okay. So um, 
you know, I, I got to be careful with how much I, <laughs> yeah. I, I say that I like the rest of it because you know, yeah. I always got to keep mom's recipe at number one. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely open to, uh, to, to the variety that we're going to have there. So it's exciting. The BWL Chili Cook-Off will run from 5.30 to 9 p.m. October 7th at West Adato Riverfront Park. Tickets can be purchased online at lbwl.com slash cco. The entry form to compete in the Chili Dog Eating Contest is due by noon on October 5th. Annie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, switching gears. I'm bringing in sports reporter James Edwards, business reporter Alex Elushif, and education reporter RJ Wolcott. We're going to be talking about a variety of topics, including diversity in mid-Michigan schools, a new bar coming to town, and the release of a new Lansing-made video game. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks. RJ, you just wrapped up a huge project looking at the number of minority teachers in the area. It has fascinating information in it. Why did you feel the need to write this story? Uh, well, it was something that was prompted by research that's shown that there are significant benefits potentially for having minority teachers in districts with large populations of minority students in terms of role modeling. They can see somebody who's educated, who's leading the classroom, who looks like them, and then they can you know, see themselves being in that role. Um, a lot of times I talked to sources who said they didn't have any you know black teachers growing up, and you know that lack of a role model could uh, potentially keep somebody from looking at something like teaching and so getting those people in front of the classrooms is really important for those students and it has benefits for white students too so it was really prompted by that research decided to look out see what the landscape was like uh, here in the Lansing region is it ever hard to cover a topic like this uh a little bit so the data portion was the easiest because that was just flat numbers I can look at that put it into charts and the hardest part was getting administrators to talk about this because it's something that's a little still a touchy subject. You're talking about race, you're talking about diversity and hiring practices. So that's already something where most people will tell you, well, we can't hire somebody based on that. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all about qualifications. And that's true. Teacher quality is you know paramount in this. Um, but it is about things like looking for diverse teachers in historically black or Latino colleges or things that just show those teachers that you know, they have a place, a voice and a role in your school district. Your story says a growing body of research shows significant benefits for minority students when same-race teachers lead classrooms, but diversity is lagging in, lagging in the Lansing region. We've had a few people comment on this story that race shouldn't matter. James, obviously you're only speaking for yourself, but what's your take on this? Do you agree with this? Um, as someone who grew up, right? I mean, I didn't grow up biracial. I still am biracial. <laughs> um, but going through school, I... I Race, it, it shouldn't matter, but unfortunately it does. Um, I just know anybody, no matter your skin color, can attest to this. You feel a little bit more comfortable when there's somebody that looks like you around you or somebody that you can talk to. And um, So I, it, it shouldn't matter, but unfortunately it does just because of the kind of tension that's been built from everything that's gone on in this country, everything that's gone on since the day one of this country. Um, it's just, it, 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 it's something that should go away, but people always are going to feel more comfortable when they see people that look like them, which was weird for me because not many people look like me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the story, it did talk about how um, people can be more comfortable when they are learning from someone who looks like them. So you would agree with that, that it's maybe not something you think about consciously, but... Yeah, um, in terms of learning, 
I would say I don't know if I've ever had it's because it's weird because I'm biracial. So like I I've had teachers that I really appreciate, but in terms of like looking to somebody as like a uh, mentor, a mentor or a figure, I've never really had that. But I know like growing up playing sports, a lot of the mentors for a lot of the guys I played basketball with would be like the coaches, and most of their jobs at the school were like detention um <laughs> like detention overseers supervisors or in school suspension supervisors um so like i remember i'm not gonna say the middle school because i don't know if they still work there and i don't want to get them in trouble somehow <laughs> they hear it but it's in, i was living in ypsilanti and i went to oh well, i went to a school a middle school in ypsilanti um <laughs> and like during march madness the basketball coach who was the iss teacher in school suspension he would come like get the whole team out and i was the lightest kid on the team so pretty much it was an all-black team um, and we would like go and watch like March Madness during school and stuff like that. And like, that was the guy that like a lot of kids looked up to because like everybody's kind of talked about somebody that looked like them, somebody they've known, somebody they feel comfortable with. Um, so I, I, for me, I think it is a little different learn in terms of learning because you, you put a teacher in front of me. Like I just assume like I just, a teacher is a teacher. Like I don't think two different races unless there's, I don't know, there's reasons to, I guess, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. It's different, I think, between teacher and like a mentor. Where did you go to high school? I went to Ypsilanti High School my freshman year, and then sophomore, junior, and senior year, I went to Flint, Carmen Ainsworth. How many black teachers were in your school at Flint? In Flint, there was at least three that I can remember, and this is a, a pretty big high school. We had three black teachers to, that I can remember, and we had an Arabic teacher, um, and those are the two like national minority groups that i can remember i I think that was it though do you ever remember thinking or consciously being aware of the ratio to non-white teachers and white teachers no i haven't not until rj's story i I actually in preparing for this i thought about like now that i had a chance to think about it like there are tons of more white teachers at my school and which is interesting because my school is was one of the more diverse schools in the state like Carmen Ainsworth I would say is 40% white 40% black 10% m- like Muslim and 10% Hispanic so it was a really diverse school if you think about it um but there wasn't many teachers that looked like a lot of the kids so it could now that you like we've talked about it it does make a sense maybe there would be uh more motivation for kids if they could relate to somebody that's teaching them um, a little bit easier. RJ, did you find that anybody you interviewed was um, kind of bummed by all the statistics? You know, it's like, oh, where do we go from here? There's not a, a definite answer. Right, because that's the thing. I think, you know, you show somebody this research and they say, you know, there wasn't anybody who outright dismissed it as, you know, we don't think this is valid. It's, well, okay, we'll say this is valid, but how do we fix it when the pool of minority teachers is so small? I mean, we looked at CMU and MSU specifically in terms of graduates from their teaching programs, and less than 10% from both in the past five years were non-white, okay? So you don't have nearly the size of pool to pick from, and you still have to hold quality as the like, number one thing so it's just really tough for them. It's not like you just post a job notice and you get these people coming in. You have to make deliberate efforts to post jobs, again, at historically black Latino colleges. 
you know, make more of an effort to reach out to those populations if you really do want to diversify in that way. So it was mostly a, we'd like to be more diverse. That was kind of the overlaying message from everybody. It's just how do we do that and how do we get more black, Latino, Asian, Native American kids interested in teaching? That was really the thing because if these kids don't have role models to look up to who look like them, they don't go into school to be the role models for the next generation, right? So it's kind of cyclical. And so at what point do you address that? And so that's really the question I think that people have to look at and try to figure out. None of us have children, but James, do you think in the future, if you ever did have kids, would you be concerned with the ratio of white teachers to non-white teachers? Not necessarily just black teachers, but... I would be more concerned with teachers, no. Um, For some reason to me, and like I said, I could be the wrong person to be asking about this. I just, teachers, like, I just, they're just teachers to me. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I would learn better if there was somebody relating to me. There's obviously cooler teachers and non-cool teachers that do different things that make you enjoy being in their classroom more. I think, for me, it's more about the diversity in the school. Um, I would rather send my kid to, like, I've told somebody in the office, like, if I had a kid within the next two years and I'm still working here, they and I had a high school kid, I'm saying, if I still lived in the area, they I would go to Eastern. Like, just diversity, I think amongst the people you're around most of the day is more important to me than who you're learning from in most cases, but that might just be me. Another fact I found interesting in RJ's story was that studies can show that when white students have non-white teachers, they're more likely to be accepting and less, you know, judgmental or stereotypical. And so that's something that I think is interesting going forward. Like, to think about because I would never have, have ever have thought about it like that. I mean, you know, thinking about it from my perspective, I would want my children to have a more racially diverse experience than I did because when I grew, where I grew up, we had two black uh, students who graduated in my class of 200 kids. I had no non-white teachers my entire time through school and that's not reflective of the world that you enter when you get out of high school and I would want my kids to, to have more experience in that and not like me coming to MSU and then that's when you're actually having your first friendships with people of a different race than yourself. I want them to have more of an experience with that and not have so much of a learning at that point in their lives, you know, have more experience going into it and know what the real world is like, you know, it's not just all people of one race, it's all sorts of different people out there. So let me ask you, racial tension is really high right now. Did what, did that play a factor in your decision to do this story? No, not really. You know, that's all that's going on. And I, I'm glad that it so far hasn't really been a huge topic in the comment section of the story or anything. Um, it's just something where we are cognizant of everything that's going on and you want to use the proper terminology. A lot of times in this, that was something that we really were cognizant of when we're talking to people. Um, but in, in the most part, you know, we let people talk about the issue and we just laid everything out there with the research and just went from there. James, what was your reaction to this story after you read it? I thought it was an interesting just story in general. Like you never think about things like that. Like you, like we've kind of been talking about the whole podcast. I never sat down and thought about how many African-American teachers I had in my high school or how many minority teachers. And it's an interesting conversation to have because maybe some kids do learn better like that. I, I know I'm not one of them or I never I don't think I'm one of them um but I'm one person out of billions and billions of people so that's what I just like the conversation that it brings and makes you think about something a little different when it comes to the the system and all that stuff 
if you have not read the story, make sure to check it out. It is on lsj.com and I will also put it on my podcast page. There are three stories that go with this project and they are all great. So make sure to check them out. On a lighter note, we should probably let Alex speak. Do we have to? <laughs> Alex, there's a new bar coming to Love Lansing. Give us the 411. As LSJ's resident alcohol reporter and alcoholic, <laughs> and probably. <laughs> so, yeah, there's this new bar. It's going to be uh, called Lansing Beer Exchange. It's, a, it's an expansion from Kalamazoo Beer Exchange, which has gotten some fame for its uh, stock market style or concept, where basically um, starting at 6 a.m., um, the stock market option opens, and that's where um, all the beers are priced on the demand from who's buying it. So uh, the example I was given is uh, an Oberon starts at four fifty. Um, if a lot of people are buying it, the price will go up to a cap at $5, and other beers who aren't, that aren't getting much tension will drop. So you could have you know, a really strong like, stout or something drop to you know, $4 or something or cheaper than what you normally pay for it. So that's really cool that it, it, it's affected by who's buying what beers. And then um, the employees can actually choose to crash the market where every single beer on the menu gets cut in half from its original price for five, uh, five minutes. So you can get a really, you know, Oberon will cut to 250 for a pint, or, um, you know, a Miller Lite can go to 150. So that's really good deal for, yeah. you know, your favorite craft beer. That's probably like seven or eight bucks because we all know craft beer is pretty expensive. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a really cool feature to have um, in Lansing. And it's going to be a rooftop bar, which is, which is pretty cool too. Uh, right in the heart of downtown. Bars typically haven't fared well in downtown. Do you think this one will? I think I definitely think so because it's a, it has a unique concept. Um, some of the other bars, it's just more of like, it's, it doesn't really have anything that makes it stand out too much. This one definitely does because um, it's that unique concept that'll bring people. It's not just a craft beer bar because we have a lot of those, but this thing will definitely... Uh, the stock market concept will bring more people because they have the chance to buy their good beer for cheaper. And uh, there's a roof, that rooftop aspect, somebody's so cool to be in the heart of downtown and you can see all, you know, you can see our office building yeah. across the, the street or uh, the rest of downtown. So I think it'll, it'll fare really well. I feel like I can just picture a guy now, like a drunk guy that has like $3 in his pocket. Everybody stop buying the Oberon. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to come down. You have to buy like some nasty yeah, 9% oh. weird like raspberry yeah. milkshake. Stop buying the Oberon. <laughs> Yeah, I have a feeling we will see many LSJ employees in that yes. in that bar coming yeah. up. It's right across the street. Here's the question, though. Is there anything for us non-beer fans there? Do they sell any mixed yes. drinks, or is it just straight-up beer? Because I'm with RJ. I'm not a beer guy. I have to check on that. I'm. It, it is a bar. It is, yeah. So there should right. be. It's got food, so you'd think yeah, they... Yeah, it, they... it does have food. I should have been more well-prepared, though. I can't say for certain. What kind of journalist are you? I was just more focused you? on, as, I know, as a craft beer, I'm just like, I'm beer? sure it does. What? Beer? Yeah, I'm so sure it is, does. I, but I think so, yeah, because there's a lot of wine drinkers. Yeah, I'd be yeah. surprised if they weren't. I'd be dumb not to. Have any of you guys been to the Kalamazoo one? I have not. I haven't been to Kalamazoo. I've been such a bad new Michigander. Uh, I'm resident. starting to cross things off my bucket list, but I was that way for the first year, too. Um, I haven't been either, but we've had a lot of people comment on this story and say that the Kalamazoo one is fantastic. I've had a lot of my friends come up to me and say we love the one in Kalamazoo, so I'm pretty pumped. Yeah, I posted it on Reddit, and everyone was loving it in Michigan, and they're like, oh, my God, Kalamazoo, this is great. So, You also had some other exciting news this week. A new video game is out. Yeah, for nerds like RJ and I, it's pretty big because it's a this Lansing <laughs> studio. So I'm not a nerd. I'm a nerd. <laughs> 
we haven't talked about this yeah. because I don't get to see you at we're not we're not desk mates anymore. Fair point, fair point. So um there's this a Lansing studio, game studio, developed this game called uh Twaybor. Um it's Latin for I will defend. It's also on our state seal, so that's pretty cool. But it's um it's a third person game that feels like League of Legends where you know there's like team deathmatch like Call of Duty too and uh also another one uh, another game mode that's like Rocket League, which is really popular right now, mm-hmm. um, where it's basically these cars that are just um, rocket cars that are just giant, trying to get a giant soccer ball into a net. But this one is um, all their characters. Um, it's mutants and humans and cyborgs and telepaths. They have all these certain powers, and you control these characters. And uh, this game mode's called Skull Ball, so you're trying to get this giant metal skull into um, the opponent's nets while you're trying to kill each other. So it adds a different um, aspect to the competitive game where you're just focusing on getting the ball into score and also knocking off your opponents so they can, you know, have a three to two advantage. It's like an amalgamation of all of kind of the most popular games out there right (laughs) now online. League of Legends is the most popular Mm -hmm. online game. Right now, Call of Duty is mainstay of college dorms across the country, you know, so it it seems like they're bringing together a lot of interesting concepts. Uh, I haven't been able to play a game yet. It's something where you need a critical mass of people to be playing in an online game like this. So they got to really get out there and make some improvements and advertise it and get some people playing. Then you can really judge how good it is. Yeah, I think it was definitely smart for uh, Scott. He's the the CEO of the company. He basically um, he owned this uh, cyber cafe, the Frag Center in East Lansing, and he took five hundred thousand hours of gameplay from his customers and used their statistics to develop what's in this game. So I think it was a really smart decision to go with that skull ball thing because Rocket League is so popular, and to add like a death match feel to it is a really it's a really unique um, concept that could be really you know well done if uh peop- if it if this game generates more interest and gets a lot of people playing yeah the idea too is you know short games like rocket league matches only last five minutes is something where you can just pick it up and play it and then you know go about the rest of your day investment in that's probably key because i don't think people want to spend two to three hours a lot of times in a row playing a game anymore mm-hmm. it's drop in, play a couple matches, then, you know, go about your business. Yeah, it's all quick matches. But, I mean, I sit down for a few hours well, on I'm, Saturday yeah. and play Rocket League when uh, Abby's away. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll sit there for eight hours, you know, but I don't expect most people to be like of me. Of course. So how much time do you spend playing this game Ooh. when you write it? Before um, you write the story about it. Well, I, I played a, a, a few hours testing. on it, w- it was just newly launched, so it's really hard in this... Uh, this they released... Release the game on Steam. Which How has many is a few? A hundred. Uh, like, like two hours. That's okay. all I had time. I, okay. it, it had been a pretty busy news week, but I played <laughs> with, with um, just computer bots because it was just fresh release. Not a lot of people were playing. And it was also when I was off on Friday. It was like midday, so everyone's back to school, so no one was really online. <laughs> and people were actually working at that point. Yeah. So it was just me and my lonesome. But uh, I thought it was I thought it was a really fun game. It has a lot of potential, um, and especially for being a Lansing studio. It's not one of those big studios out in California or the East Coast that are just you know uh, trying to make a bunch of money. It's a free it's a free game, so it's free to download. So why not give it a try? Especially you know help out a local Lansing company. All right. Well, before we let you guys go, let's get to some headlines you may have missed. Where's the best place to see fall color in Michigan? Help us decide by voting in our fall color bracket. Visit on.lsj.com slash fall color to vote. 
Do you guys have a favorite spot to see fall color? East Lansing. MSU, yeah. Easily. Not even close. Anywhere oh, in the yeah. forest. I'm so bad. Oh, yeah. I just like, I just stay in my house sometimes. Is there fall like, color in Ohio? Ohio? Yes, there are. When you drive along um, the highways, uh, you, there's a lot of valleys in eastern Ohio, in Cleveland area. Like, people give a lot of crap for Ohio because um, the flatness Ohio. of the western <laughs> part of the state. That's all you guys know. Eastern Ohio is beautiful, but Pennsylvania is better. I like Pennsylvania. I lived in northern Ohio. And I've lived in Michigan. I have to say I prefer yeah, the Sandusky Michigan. Yeah, Sandusky isn't as pretty, especially with that algae bloom in the... Yeah, <laughs> that was about my only fall color, yeah. I've the been algae. To, I've been to Toledo. That's about it. Yeah, yeah that that's not going to give you much either. That's Michigan. Tuesday was a pivotal moment in Lansing Railroad history. At 10.20 a.m., a crane lifted the battered Michigan Avenue tower from a concrete pad in an old town parking lot. The Lansing Model Railroad Club plans to restore and display the rare train tower, which dates back to the 1800s. I think that would be pretty cool because whenever I go down Old Town, you see that that random uh, rail that you pass over on mm-hmm. on Grand. And I've, I always check, like, is there a train about to go? Wait, no, there's no, like, blockers. So you just see this train in nowhere. It's a like creepy Twilight Zone. <laughs> A Michigan pit bull who had an allergic reaction to bee stings and the antibiotics he was given to treat them was abandoned at the vet by his owners. You might have seen the picture of the dog covered in bee stings on social media. This is a really sad headline, but I'm really glad that this pit bull was saved. Did you guys read the story? I saw the dog's face and yeah. it was sad that you would get, you would abandon You'd abandon dog. a dog. I would just give a dog a lot of hugs. They're trying to find it a family, so let's hope it, let's hope that happens. I haven't been stung by a bee in like 10 years i've never it's been stung really I, I was always wondering i thought i was lucky i don't know how often it happens you're probably I, gonna walk outside and get stung outside outside <laughs> i remember it hurt like bad <laughs> <laughs> like what like, yep, <laughs> like bad. hot chicken kitchen is now open in downtown lansing in the space formerly occupied by tom and chi the menu will revolve around a unique nashville style fried chicken I'll just say it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'll just get it out there. I love chicken, so. And I never went to Tom and Chi because I've heard. I've. So in St. Louis, Tom and Cheese is a macaroni and cheese and grilled cheese spot, right? Or is it just. I think it was just grilled cheese. It was just grilled cheese? Maybe it had mac and cheese. Okay. Because I always just assumed it was like part, like it had mac and cheese too. And I've watched my stepsister go to a place that just served mac and cheese and she was sick for eight days straight. Oh. So that kind of steered me off. If there was no (laughs) mac and cheese, I'm sorry. But the cheese part, (laughs) I thought just. Yeah. I thought there was some mac and cheese. I'm excited for a new lunch spot. I love whenever we get a new lunch spot. Yeah, Lansing's really uh, hopping right now. I get yeah. a lot of new businesses. A Michigan State University doctor facing a growing chorus of sexual assault allegations has been fired by the university. Dr. Larry Nasser also previously worked for Holt through a contract the district had with MSU. Yeah, this is something we're going to be following up on a lot. You know, there's reporters here working on that, following up, talking to people, and uh you know, you can look out for more on this, and it's going to be just a continually growing story. And, uh, you know, the Indy Stars story really brought that out. And ever since, there have been a lot of people coming forward on that. So more to come. Well, thank you for listening to our Love Lansing podcast, provided by the Lansing State Journal, part of the USA Today Network. Remember, all of the stories we talked about today can be found on my podcast page. I'll be here every week to fill you in on the most exciting news you might have missed. If you're feeling out of the loop, visit lsj.com slash lovelancingpodcast and let us fill you in. Mm-hmm.